Hi, we want to welcome you back to the Accidental Marketer podcast. I'm Mary Epizia, co-author of the book, The Accidental Marketer, and I'm joined by my partner and co-author, Tom Spitali, and Sean Wellam, who heads up our European operations for our consulting firm, Impact Planning Group. Um, hi, Tom. Hi, Sean. Hi, Mary. Hey, Mary. How you doing? Good. Thanks. This podcast is meant for our accidental marketers. Um, it may be you or it may be someone you work with. And uh, our intent is to help you grow professionally as a marketer. So we are addressing topics as requested by you. So let us know what you'd like to hear. Um, one of the requests we had was uh, in our book. Uh, so we're starting a series where we'll deep dive into each of our chapters of our books. And uh, one at a time, we're going to first start with the chapter on who moved my customer. And um, this features an inside look at what happened with Dell and its success in the PC market. And it's interesting to see that when you look at the influencer map, you can see how it really does tell that story. And so looking at leveraging changing influence and that influencer map, uh, I think it makes sense for Tom, you to tell us what's the story behind that chapter title. Yeah, thanks, Mary. I guess um, after I wrote it, I, I, I started thinking about... Um, a, a pretty famous management book from the late 1990s called "Who Moved My Cheese." It was written really at the you know the very early part, I guess, of the what we're calling the technological age, and it was about leadership and how to lead people in times of great change. And you know, you fast forward 15, 20 years later to you know this the the, the book, "The Accidental Marketer," and and the topic of of, of change and influence in B two B industries. And it seems like that that change that you know was just becoming evident in the late 90s with who moved my cheese is really evident to a lot of our clients in terms of trying to define in complex b2b markets who is the customer which customers have power how that power is shifting and changing and it seems to me that most of our clients that you know wrestle with and utilize influencer maps realize that in the past they really have been focusing at least partially on some of the wrong customers. Like the, they're, they're spending love and attention on certain customers and influencers that maybe don't have as much power or influence in their markets as they used to. And, 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 and conversely, they're, they're, they're perhaps ignoring some, some folks that uh, are, are really driving decision-making in B2B markets today, and they don't know much about them. Sean, is that your experience too? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think it's it's that old, you know, old habits die hard, don't they? So you, you, we all tend to do what we've always done. It's 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 hard to 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 uh, to change that. But one thing that we know is true, and 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 ever more true, is the the shift in in um, in power, for want of a better word, or or influence that that people are having different impacts on markets. And if you're still talking to the same customer that or the same customer types you spoke to two, three, five years ago, yeah, that's probably not a good thing. Not the way things have changed. Yeah. I was working, Mary and I were working together just this week, and Mary, you had a, a, a great example of how power shifted in, an, in, a, in a healthcare pharmaceutical market that I, I thought was, was really interesting. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I thought it, you know, it was interesting because we could see in the market that this company was starting to really lose market share. And when you looked at the doctors, they were very strong, you know, from a score standpoint, they were in the 700s out of a thousand. So they looked like they were doing fine with the doctors. 
And even the patients um, rated them really high when you looked at the, the, um, the way that they are influenced. But then when you looked at the pharmacies, there was such a shift going there that anything that was happening in the first two was really kind of uh, being muted by the fact that the pharmacies were driving so many more decisions and it was going to continue to grow. So the influencer map was getting much bigger for the pharmacies. And um, they had to reset and, and realize that they had to actually even go back and find resources that they didn't have in place to quickly put in place so that they could stay in the, in the market. Yeah, it seems like to me, I want to see if you, you two agree. It seems like the sh there's a shift in um, almost every market towards end users. I mean, in healthcare markets, it seems like there's you know a bigger shift towards uh, pharmacists or kind of late in the value chain, but even to patients who are having a bigger you know role in in the decision of of what um, you know what drugs that they want to maybe even request. There's there's pull through demand. You know, in in machinery markets, you know, it seems like the users of machines and devices are having you know more more power to sway decision and, and are being sought out more um, in, in terms of what product or service in a particular market should be purchased. Are you guys saying the same thing? And what do you think is behind all of that? You know, I, I think, Tom, that's, I mean, it's affecting every every sector where the user or the, the end user is becoming more influential to some extent now they don't always make the decisions they don't always have the ability to uh to write the check but the, the there's a general shift isn't there towards this empowerment obviously driven by connectivity and the internet and all the other things where people can share and connect and do their own journeys of discovery but also through legislation you know you've got the um over here in europe we've got the general data protection regulations which is affecting everyone because europe's such a large market where um individuals are, are now much more in control of their data, who can track them, who can use their information. So that's taken some of the power, if you think of it from an influencer map, away from the big aggregators, away from the Facebooks or the, the Googles, and putting a bit more power into the individuals. And, and therefore, any business has to you know, really think about getting permissions from those individuals. And, and that is really a microcosm of what's happening everywhere. This empowerment, this, this awareness that the end user is, is, uh, is integral to the process. And, and I think we'll see more of that. Yeah, I want to build on what Sean's saying. Um, we find that in different pockets of the company, people are saying, oh yeah, you know, that the end user is starting to see it more, or this legislation. But what I like about the influencer map is it allows everyone to align and to say, yes, this is really happening, and what's the so what of this, and how should we plan as a company around it? So um, instead of everyone looking at the trends and saying, hmm, that's interesting, this actually allows them in a very real sense to look at how it's affecting their, their stakeholders and their customers, and then hopefully stepping back and taking some action on it so that it can help their company. Yeah. Agree. I, what's interesting to me about influencer maps, and for those of you not familiar with them, they're just they're, they're a way of diagramming uh, everybody who has influence in a particular B two B market, and they're drawn in such a way that you not only you know assess the power how how it sits today, but how that power in an industry is shifting away from certain influencers and towards. 
other influencers. And those that use it, we say uh, correctly, a stakeholder map correctly, can get a competitive advantage because they begin to pay more attention to key influencers as they're emerging and their, their competitors who probably aren't doing uh, stakeholder mapping uh, will miss these opportunities. But what, what I think is really interesting to me as we see our, our clients do these things is there is a bit of resistance around highlighting any kind of shifts to new influencers that um, are, are emerging. And even, even in the story of Dell in the book, we see where the incumbent PC makers, even where Dell realized that the end user consumers were becoming more and more capable of purchasing PCs without the advice of a retailer. We still see the incumbents were, um, were, were, were receiving tremendous amounts of love and attention from the PC manufacturers as a key influencer, much to the, to, to the demise of those PC uh, manufacturers. And so you get this, this, this rigidity. What, what do you guys think is behind that? And, and how do you overcome that? You know, it goes back to, to what I said earlier. It's that habit, isn't it? You know, and, and, and doubling down. There's, um, there was some psychological study that sort of went to prove that once you'd made a decision, once you'd got commitment, then you were much more likely to believe in, in that commitment that you'd made. You know, if you put money down on a horse, I think that was the experiment. They, they, hmm. they looked at gamblers and they said, once you put the money down, your belief that that horse was a good bet increased. You sort of confirm your biases and and i guess to an extent that's part of it it's like we've put a lot of money into talking to you know retailers say we're not going to just stop hell we've got a sunk cost we're going to we're going to perpetuate that and sometimes sometimes that happens in the face of overwhelming evidence you know habits are hard to break and i think one of the ways that i've you know i've seen that log jam broken is not to think of it in binary terms you know, because we don't tend to say, stop talking to retailers, start talking to end users. We're saying, add end users into the communication mix. If you were a 100% retailer, maybe you should be 80-20 or 70-30. You know, it's, it's about spreading the resources for maximum effect rather than turning one off and turning one on, right? Yeah. Yeah, but isn't there isn't there, Mary, a, isn't there a, a line that you have to, I mean, there's, Sean, to a to an extent, I agree with you saying it, it, it can become uh, not this stakeholder or that stakeholder kind of decision, it, you know, and is often, um, you know, the right answer. But isn't there a diminishing return, Mary, in terms of don't you have to draw the line somewhere because budgets only go so far? Well, I think I agree. And I think there's two parts to this. One is, is you got to make sure that you are capturing those ones that you're missing or really underestimating and I think, as we always do, the bias is, is that you've got to talk to customers at some point. You can't sit in your office and do this. You have to go out and talk to people and ask, how have the last three decisions been made? Who's made those decisions? And that's going to start to very quickly bring reality into your influencer maps and be able to see that that power has shifted. And you know, if you're missing somebody, that's key, too. So that's that outside-in approach that that at least will start to help us minimize some of those issues that you're describing, Tom. Mary, you bring, I bring up a great point. You know, uh, the, what's what's intimidating to a lot of B2B strategic marketers is, the, and there's one calling right now to, 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 to complain about the fact that it's really hard for, for customers to tell the truth, right? That, um, 
that if, if you go out and you ask customers who made the last three decisions, you know, um, and, and how they, they went down, that, that's, that that can be a difficult thing to do. It's all obviously ideal. Any kind of feedback you can get directly from the customer is the best, especially if you can get it real, so to speak. But how do you, you know, let, is there a way to get an influence map and its conclusions right, um, you know, without going outside to customers and, you know, using internal resources to kind of validate it? And how would you do that? I mean, what what are some of the ways you would get that? Yeah, exactly. That? Sean, you, why don't you help us on that one? Yeah, what, what I've always found, and, and sometimes this is a tough sell, but I say to people, what you know, what you believe, what you what your hypothesis is, is probably more close to the reality than you think. Some people like to have the the crutch of of using an external um, survey or data to 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 convince them that's how the market is. But how many times have we been in workshops when we haven't had access to that, and we say to people, "What do you guys think?" And what they come up with in the confines of a workshop subsequently turns out to be really close to reality. I think the one thing I would always encourage is saying, you, if you have the right mix of people, you know more than you probably think you do, and you can do a pretty good job of, of, of hypothesizing how your market works in terms of influence, how it might be shifting. And then you move on to maybe validating that, sure. But, but um, there's a lot of inbuilt knowledge, and you've got to have people to get the confidence to recognize that they probably know this stuff. They've probably yeah. got a good intuitive sense. They're writer than they think. I think they're writer than they think. And 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 Mary, I'm not going to steal this concept because it's your concept. I want you to tell them about. Then once you get the hypothesis that is writer than they think, there's this idea, this this certain kind of meeting that you always talk about. Oh, <laughs> the pizza lunch. <laughs> we, we love yes. this. Um, <laughs> our, our, what we have actually seen in reality is is that you do have to invite people into a meeting. And hopefully the ones that could mess up your plans later. This is a great opportunity to have them come in. And if you offer them pizza, they will stay. And probably in about two hours, you can start to develop a very good hypothesis. And we also believe if you bring some beer in, people will actually stay a little bit longer, possibly come. So it just... There it is. Two podcasts in a row we're talking about I liquor. Know, What's going it just, on? It, it makes it more fun. And this is fun. This is not a hard thing. And as long as people get to weigh in on this, you start to very much align around what's the view of the market so we can start to have a better sense of what what we should do. So it's a great foundation. Um, Sean, any closing thoughts on the influencer map? You know, one thing I always I always like to say when we run influencer maps is is a couple of things. One is it, it, it doesn't happen instantly. It's not a case of like, right, everyone, let's draw the influencer map and it's done. It sort of evolves and shapes as people add to the discussion. And it's a real tool for socializing across the business of saying to people, hey, this is how we see the market. And they say, well, you've forgotten this guy, you've forgotten this person. And and unless you're having some I know, disagreements, discussions, additive conversations, then you're not really there. So I always say treat this tool as a almost constant work in progress. I mean, eventually you land on, on, on your hypothesis, but but don't expect instant results. So I always, I always say to people, you've got to test this with others and get their perspective because the one thing you need to avoid, the most dangerous thing is missing somebody off. It's not so much overestimating somebody's influence. 
I think that's the lesser problem. The bigger problem, I think, is if you miss someone off. And, and we see that a mm, bit, right? It's so true. It's so true. Um, Tom, do you have any closing thoughts on Influencer Map? One quick last one, and that is this, that if I, I can say this after, you know, 15 years of, of, of seeing Influencer Maps being used almost every week by our, our clients, if the same top three stakeholders after you've done an Influencer Map um, match if those if those three top priorities match the top three priorities you had before you did the influencer map, you got it wrong. You missed somebody <laughs> because all markets, all industries are changing so fast that from one year to the next, there's probably an influencer that's um, emerged on the screen that you're not paying enough love and attention to. Mm, I think that's right. Obviously, we have a lot of passion around this one. <laughs> Um, and we're going to have to end it here, but we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and, um, we're looking forward to having you join us in the future episodes. Uh, you can reach out to us and request specific topics. We would love to address them, but until then, we wish you great success. Thank you.